don't matter what your name is Share your story, we'll be waiting Call, uh, uh, yeah, for the haters, whoa Uh, what's up, guys, and welcome back to For the Haters podcast. Um, we're happy to have you guys here. Today we have a special guest. Um, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Adrian Nolan-Smith, and I am a board-certified patient advocate, uh, speaker, and the founder of something called Wellbe, which is Get Wellbe um, on all social channels and our website. And Wellbe is really focused on helping people to prevent chronic health issues and when they come up, heal them naturally. And we help them do that by helping people implement wellness in their lives and also um, navigate the healthcare system when things come up because it's pretty hairy out there (laughs) um, in the conventional system. And in my experience, which we'll talk about, um, the integrative and functional medicine world was really, um, I think, the future of how healthcare should be practiced. Um, And so because of that, I really help people to, you know, as a board certified patient advocate, I can help people to get to those kinds of practitioners and doctors who um, I think will really um, help people to heal rather than just band-aid or, you know, manage symptoms with um, pill for an L type stuff. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Just if you guys are new listening, my name is Becky. I am the host. Uh, We also have Laura here. What's up? who is the co-founder for the haters. Um, you know, so when you came to us with your story, there was a lot of, it's interesting because for us, we're doing this for a reason, right? There wasn't, you know, there was things that we went through that wanted us to start this. And, you know, that is relatable to your story as well. So you didn't just come about to wanting to care more about wellness and down that path. Um, you know, there was a reason that brought you here mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> a few reasons one one was the most impactful but I have a few life experiences and work experiences that got me here yeah um I think maybe if you if you want to start out by talking about maybe um your childhood and you know going through Lyme's disease sure um so yeah my sort of journey with wellness and you know hippie woo woo integrative <laughs> holistic whatever the hell it's can we curse Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is that even a curse word? I don't know. Uh, whatever kind of medicine you want to call it, um, alternative, complement, whatever. Um, that all started with my diagnosis of chronic Lyme disease when I was 11. Um, chronic Lyme disease means that you've had it long enough for the antibiotics to not really be effective anymore. Um, and it's actually, unfortunately, most cases of Lyme, that's the case, um, because people generally don't really even see the bullseye that you get that, you know, shows you sort of have Lyme and you can treat it quickly with antibiotics. So, um, you know, my mom treated me or rather sent me to a doctor, um, who treated me with antibiotics. They didn't work. Um, and basically that was the only option that we were given. It was either more or different antibiotics or antibiotics through an IV instead of, you know, a pill or whatever. That was it. And my mom had had some, you know, kind of health issues herself, but had grown up like a Navy brat eating white bread and spam. You know, she (laughs) by no means was kind of raised to understand the world of natural medicine or holistic medicine. And, Um, yet I think living in New York city and having therefore access and proximity to some of them and then feeling herself like so 
not great, um, especially after having kids. Um, I think she had a lot of gut and hormone issues. I know she did. So, you know, what generally happens is after pregnancy, if you have issues, they exacerbate. Um, so she started to look into these different kinds of, you know, therapies and medicines. And so when she, when she heard that there was nothing left to do except more and more of a treatment that didn't seem to be effective and from what she could find, endless antibiotics kind of destroy your gut. And she was way ahead of her time. I mean, we didn't even talk about the microbiome or gut health until, you know, the microbiome project finished, which was only a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's like you hear it constantly, like bone broth and, you know, at least I do. I'm in the wellness world, all that <laughs> stuff, collagen. Broth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's, you know, kimchi, whatever. Um, so, but, but back then it really was not talked about at all. And so she sort of said, well, why would I want to destroy this child's immune system and gut over and over and over? Like she's going to be so susceptible to the Lyme either coming back or like another infection that's just going to wipe her out. So she said, no, thanks. And, you know, really started me down this path, um, of these different natural therapies for two years. There were so many of them. I won't. It was you and your brother, right? Yeah, me and my brother. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was actually the reason that I got diagnosed at all. He was much more, and I say much more sick because his symptoms were so much more pronounced than mine, Mm -hmm. but that actually apparently doesn't mean it's worse. It just means that people have different symptoms and, you know, the same way that like two people that have arthritis, one can have really bad joint pain and and not much skin stuff. And another one, it's like all skin stuff and like a little bit of joint pain. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to say, but um, yeah, I had a lot of memory loss issues, like short-term memory. Like I'd look at a piece of paper. I'd look at your face. You tell me your name is Becky. I'd look away. I'd be like, what? Like, who are you? Or not who are you, but what's your name? Like, um, or, you know, I'd look at a, a number on a paper look away no idea what that was um which is weird for a kid you start mm-hmm. to really like am I going crazy like what why? It's, it's interesting too because um I'm sure in New York City that's not something that typically comes up right limes you're not like in the woods you're not used to you're not really susceptible to ticks being everywhere you know where, where I'm from if someone was sick it was like is it limes because Every, like there was just ticks everywhere yeah well that's really interesting um because my family has a beach cottage in Lyme Connecticut where Lyme <laughs> disease was first found um so yeah so it it's pretty prevalent yeah. out there and um it was really interesting and it just shows the times like they just didn't have they still have really bad testing mm-hmm. um and there's just so few there are so few Lyme literate doctors that even though we had we you know we were exposed in a place with tons of Lyme disease um and New York City is surrounded by places with tons of Lyme you know the Hamptons yeah New Jersey mm-hmm. um you know every part of Connecticut is just infested it was still like oh that's weird you have joint pain I mean they told my mom over and over that my brother just had growing pains even though he was buckled over screaming grabbing his knees middle of the night you know probably every week or every two weeks in the emergency room with debilitating joint pain and the doctors just being like we think it's joint pain take Advil you know yeah did you and your brother contract this around the same time um no I was a couple of years after him um but it was yeah so anyway we were both being treated at the same time because it was discovered at the same time Um, but it was, it was a weird 
two years of my life and longer for him. He got better. A little, it took a couple more years. Um, but we both are fine today. And um, I feel extremely lucky because there are Lyme patients who are suffering for like decades. They just mm-hmm. never get better. I mean, they're just attached to like a port. They're just kind of like invalids. I mean, it's really – and then they'll get a little bit better and then relapse and a little bit better and relapse, whereas I haven't had that experience, which has been great. And I really owe it to my mom being like such a ferocious – researcher and fighter to not take no for an answer and try every weird thing you went out and like traveled to the country to go and find exactly yeah we were in a tiny tiny town in minnesota for three weeks one summer we were in lancaster pennsylvania for like another three weeks the second summer i was still sick um chewing these treatments um you know doctors all over the place um you know, she followed every lead. Not all of them <laughs> resulted in something <laughs> effective. Um, but that's the kind of interesting part about natural medicine in general and natural therapies is that they're really just um, supporting your immune system to finally get strong enough to overcome said whatever it is, which mm-hmm. is actually finally now being used in like, you know, conventional healthcare. Immunotherapy drugs for cancer is like the new hot thing in cancer and that basically means drugs that then enable your immune system to figure out there's cancer in your body and then go attack it Hmm. so it's like brilliant um in that sense it's still like pretty new but that's basically where cancer treatments are going and so the good part about that is that there's you know not really side effects the same way that drugs have Mm -hmm. um but the bad thing is that you have to do them kind of all in conjunction to really get your immune system strong enough to finally kick that thing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's hard to know like which one of those things really did it because you kind of have to keep doing them all together. It's kind of like if you do a diet change that heals something, it's like, was it just that I took out the gluten or the dairy or that I added more vegetables? Like, no, dude, it's all of the things together because you have to support your immune system in like every which way. It's Mm -hmm. not usually one. So I'm not really sure which one of the therapies that I did was the most effective, but we were doing a lot, you know, in conjunction and I was better after two years. Do you, uh, is that what you remember like prominently from your childhood, you know, trying to, um, I'm trying to think of what the word is, like trying to get better from being sick? You know, if you ask my brother that, he would say yes, that was his whole childhood, Mm -hmm. but it was two years out of like you know 17 or 18 for me so yeah no like I, health was definitely has been a large part of my life I mm-hmm. never thought I'd be working in health and wellness like if you told me that even 10 years ago I would have laughed at you but um, it's always been a big part of my life I've been that friend that people go to for any kind of help that they you know come across with mostly related to integrative medicine stuff but also any kind of wellness thing or just healthcare stuff in general because I've been through it a lot um not just with my own health but with my mom's which we'll talk about too um but yeah it didn't define it um because you know I was a really healthy kid until I was like 10 or 11 um but then you know when I look back at I did this is a bit of a tangent but I did this (laughs) emotional freedom technique thing which was crazy these um six sessions last January with this practitioner over the phone and one of the things that came out, it was so weird. I thought it was total, I thought she was a total quack. I was like ready to just throw in the towel. Like I did not think that it was mm-hmm. effective or whatever. 
Um, but at the fourth session, I had this amazing release. I mean, I couldn't even breathe. I was crying so hard and I'm really not a crier. And I, I didn't know what was going on. But basically what came out was that I, I have like a slight scoliosis and I've always kind of had some back pain and stuff and never really thought that much about it. But basically she figured out like this pain I'd held in my body and my back especially um, was really linked to like being this age, being 11 and just starting to go through all this stuff with my health and like Lyme and then not getting to do all the things that my friends were going to do because I had to do all these treatments and mm-hmm. kind of just getting frustrated with my mom for making me do all these things because I thought it was all, you know, like her, not, you know, in hindsight, obviously she, I, I thank God for her. Mm-hmm. But at the time you're like an angsty tween, like, <laughs> yeah. mom, I just want to go like everyone else is going to the whatever I want to go there like I don't want to go to Minnesota you know <laughs> stay in a motel six with you and my annoying little brother for three weeks um so yeah I mean I would say that that was surprising to me and really interesting because it's something I never thought of as being kind of this like unresolved childhood trauma that I held pain in my body for for decades mm-hmm. related to this time um of feeling of feeling different, of like things kind of falling apart, like just a lot of like, you know, my parents didn't end up having a great marriage. Um, but that was also when I remember them like fighting a lot about our care and like, you know, just a lot of stuff. And it does affect you more than you realize because clearly I'd been hanging on to it for, for a while. while. Yeah. yeah. And that's something, and that's why I asked the question because I know that there's definitely people listening that are holding something on from their childhood, not realizing. Because people can, you know, hide something so well that they almost think that it's not real. And so people are holding on to this rather than, you know, dealing with it. And it's so important to release, you know. Oh my gosh, yes. Maybe unheard of anger that's, you know, lingering inside of you. Yeah, I mean, I literally thought this woman was, I, I <laughs> if you had told me that she was going to like pull this memory out of me and it was linked to my back pain, whatever, mm-hmm. I would have been like, what are you talking? Like, that's so I crazy. Have, I've, that's so interesting. I've had things in my life that, you know, you would think of as real traumas, um, not real traumas, that, that you would think of as traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. This didn't seem to me that traumatic, right? Um, and yet... You know, especially because around that time also like my mom and my relationship got not as close. Like it, we, it was sort of this like, you're like, you have to take your vitamins. You have to do this and that. And then I was just, she was such a like, stop, you know, telling me what to do. Stop making me do all these therapies. Like, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to just be <clears throat> a normal kid. And I think, I think that is traumatizing though. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and clearly you, it was. <laughs> right. I mean, um, you internalized <laughs> it to the point where it was a physical manifestation of exactly. your stress. So it's, yeah. you know. It was wild to me. So, I mean, I guess the lesson here for anybody that hasn't done that EFT type work or doesn't really think that they have any buried childhood traumas is that a lot of times it's not something you think of as traumatic. Um, and that the there's 17 layers to everything. And so I had to kind of keep going backwards and digging into this like this back injury or not even injury you know, my scoliosis and okay. And then I was like seeing a chiropractor. Okay. And then like, what's a memory from that? And it sort of involved my mom, but it was hard to figure out why I had it. And then the next thing I know, I'm like 
can't breathe and hysterical. And mm-hmm. it is not because like, you know, now my mom isn't around and or it wasn't the feeling of like missing her or something like that. It was all this like just pain of feeling kind of this rejection or being different or these like really basic human emotions that people don't want to feel right like mm-hmm. being different or being rejected or not being loved or being scared or not safe or whatever um that like I had to keep going and going and going to even know that I had them and even then being like what like it was it was weird so sometimes you need to kind of keep pulling the the onion back yeah, the onion. yeah. 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 and like okay so what was you know so you have that memory but like what was really going on there and kind of keep going back and slowly but surely you could release something that you didn't know was going on. And because of the way we understand inflammation in the body, um, these chronic uh, or not chronic, but these, these unresolved childhood traumas are often the source of a lot of disease later in life because they're just stagnating negative energy Mm -hmm. and, you know, negative energy is like one of the many different sources. Of course, you know, there's like crappy food and this and that, but, um, or like pollution, these are all sources of inflammation and inflammation is what leads to every single chronic disease there is like all cancers, all heart disease, all of that. And so if you can get rid of that stuff, not only does it make for obviously a happier, freer existence, but Mm -hmm. you're also potentially saving yourself the heartache of, you know, future disease and all the financial and emotional burden that comes with that for you and your family. So I think it's really worth doing. It's a shame how much people discount energy as as being like a leading cause of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I, I always talk about it or think about it because it's hard for me too. I mean, I'm hard on myself. I hear the negative crap I tell myself and, you know, it's hard to stop that. Um, but I try to remind myself that, you know, my your body, everything that you say to each other, or rather everything that you say to yourself, your body is hearing. You're trapped in the same place, right? You can't get away from it. And so if you have these disempowering beliefs or these negative thoughts or these stagnating traumas that you haven't resolved that are leading you to have these disempowering beliefs, right? Like if you had something that happened when you were a kid that made you feel unsafe or unloved, you may manifest that all your life of the making weird decisions like staying with you know somebody in a relationship because you they make Mm -hmm. you feel safe even if somehow they're actually horrible for you or you stay in a job you hate forever because you're scared of change and risk comfort right because you want to be comfortable you want to feel safe like things like you know that um both of those examples all of that can really be um you know, because you uh, didn't get rid of some of this stuff initially. So it's amazing how much it can play out in different ways. Hmm. Have you ever read the book, The Secret? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like I need to. It, well, no, it's like, it, so it's kind of cor- corny, but it's corny with a purpose. It just basically talks about energy and like, what you put out into the world is what you're going to receive. So, you know, the way you speak to yourself, the the constant positive reinforcements, you're manifesting what's going to happen by the energy that you put out. Oh, I totally yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And yet so that's it what is... the whole book is based off of. That's honestly, it helped it. It makes you the one thing, at least for me, what I took from it, it automatically made me realize when I was thinking negatively because I was almost afraid of what was going to happen from those negative thoughts 
So it like just forced me to change my thought in any way that I could because it like scared me into thinking that those things were going to come true if I kept thinking about that. That's them. a great, I was just going to say, mm-hmm. I know that to be true. And yet it's still really hard for me mm-hmm. to be positive enough to yeah. manifest positivity, you know, yeah. like, um, it's an interesting scare tactic. It's if you yeah. think of it like that, <laughs> I haven't been scared or I haven't scared myself and I'm absolutely going to start doing that tonight to yeah. make myself, cause what I've been doing is you're working. Welcome. So yeah. Yeah. I, and that's, that's, I mean, obviously everyone gets something different out of the book. I, I bought the audio version, so I'll listen into the listen to it in the car. But it, you know, it talks about like everything, like even like losing weight. Like if you keep telling yourself you're not going to lose weight, then you're not going to lose weight, regardless of what you do. If you tell yourself something's going to work, it's going to work. You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, that's why I was. How many times have you heard many. me say probably every that other I, episode? I win the, I'm going to like I'm <laughs> going to win the lottery, and I and I say that all the she time. She doesn't play it. But no, I don't. She's gonna win it. <laughs> but I am going to win One it. One slight issue with not playing it, it yeah, makes it. I always say I do have to start it. playing, but I do actively talk about winning the lottery because it's gonna happen one day. And well, you might also win a very different kind of lottery. Yeah, you and know, I I've said that too. So, but yes, you should read the book and let me know. That sounds you, great. It, it yeah. sounds like it's right up. Well, I'm just gonna start scaring myself tonight because <laughs> that sounds like a really good plan. I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah, it's and um to kind of bring us back to something that you said, it's interesting to me to hear that you would think that um your brother would you know react differently to his thought process on you know your childhood because you both basically lived kind of like similar childhoods and I wonder if because he actively feels the way that you haven't felt it's almost like been better or worse for him right because you've suppressed it so you didn't feel it until now but he's aware of it so he I don't know it's it well we didn't it's a long story, but yeah. he was he was so sick um, that he was taken out of school when he was nine, and he never really went back to school okay. um, until he went to college. So I never was taken out of school. My school was extremely understanding during those two years, and I was just late constantly and, like, had to take random naps and, like, here and there. But I got through it, um, mm-hmm. and I had a pretty normal, you know, child, like, high school experience after that. Um, Because I got better by the time I was about 13. So then my high school experience was pretty normal. Mm -hmm. And then that made my college experience more normal. And like I was a regular socialized kid, teen, whatever. Um, Whereas he spent so much time really isolated. Right. um, That it just made going to college very intimidating um and weird to be around you know just a very different it's probably jarring i mean how do you go from essentially being homeschooled right yeah for like 10 years thrown into a social environment you have no idea you don't have the skills that that equip you to right and the last time that you were socialized you were nine so like you really you're like almost you know you're a nine-year-old but you're in college and you're like how do you do this you know so mm-hmm. he's had he had a very different experience in that way um so i would say that you know even though i was not quite cognizant of how that affected me and kind of like thought it was no big deal and it was this buried emotion he was more aware but he had a lot more trauma from mm-hmm. it like right. it was are you guys still close oh yeah i talked to him for an hour today okay <laughs> that's yeah um you know, next, I would I would love to kind of hear more about the transition with your mom. Um, I know things, it, it happened like later in your life, which is, 
you know, I was telling her today, I, I didn't know much, you know, about it. So I looked everything up and I didn't realize that things could happen later in life. And you, if you want to just yeah, explain to- it, because <laughs> people are probably like, what? Like, what's going on? Oh, it's yeah. It's a good tease, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my mom, as I mentioned, you know, she had gut issues and hormonal issues then, but, you know, wasn't diagnosed with any sort of major chronic health issue. Um, she had like Epstein-Barr virus and chronic fatigue and things like that, but, you know, was otherwise seen as like a pretty functioning human. Um, but when I was in college, I actually, the summer I graduated from college, she had um, a massive like manic episode and ended up having a full-blown, you know, uh, delusions, paranoia, thought people were like trying to kill her, that God was talking to her, like your usual kind of like full-blown, like, wow, this is a mental illness situation, mm-hmm. um, which was terrifying. And my parents had divorced when I was a freshman in college. And so at that point, it was me and my two brothers who were kind of trying to figure out what to do with her. Um, and, you know, this the whole thing really started like in this crazy chase through the New York City subway system because she thought we were like trying to kill her and it was like late at night and we you know were ran all the way to Queens we you know didn't really know where we were going um and my brother had to like put her in a you know kind of like a human straitjacket and hold her until we could we didn't know what to do we called the police um just because we knew that it wasn't safe for her to like she would just keep trying to run away from us. So us trying to take her home wouldn't mm-hmm. really work. She would just like get out. So we um, called the police. They came with an ambulance. They took her away. And we like really had no idea where she was going um, or what was going to happen next. And we had never seen the mental health care system before ever and didn't know what to expect. And it was just this crazy, you feel like you're in a movie. I mean, it was like, is this really my family and my life? Like, what is happening? Like, and you just start trying to, you know, do whatever you can after that. Um, and so it was three and a half years of her being in these different inpatient programs in mental health facilities, um, you know, both the really scary kind of state ones that they send, like, you know, they feel like jails basically mm-hmm. um all the way to some more kind of like nicer <laughs> private um mental hospitals and uh everything in between and i mean it's just so many crazy things happened in those three years like she uh, there was she was diagnosed schizophrenic at that point yeah um she was diagnosed schizoaffective okay. so it's just like schizophrenia it just means like a collection of symptoms they have absolutely no idea what causes those symptoms exactly it's like irritable (laughs) bowel syndrome okay what's irritating your bowel um so they cannot pinpoint what incites a schizophrenic exactly okay right and they can with patients who who are actual like like people who have schizophrenia like full-blown schizophrenia they can better pinpoint what incites an episode oh no, no neither oh neither yeah, so neither. what's so what's the difference in verbiage schizoaffective then? um is just kind of more of a, a combination of schizophrenia and like a mood disorder okay whatever that is um which is kind of bipolar disorder sure. like it's all kind of they don't really know um but okay, so- schizophrenics just have like 
a little bit of a different set of symptoms, okay. apparently. Um, but it's very, very close to schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder. Um, and so that's what she was diagnosed with. And they just plowed the most insanely powerful antipsychotic drugs into her and different mood stabilizing drugs and just turned her into a complete vegetable. Um, she and was, before that, she was pretty self-sufficient. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. she was she was in her mid-50s and... I mean, my mom had been in the first class of women at Columbia Business School. Wow. She was a management consultant, like very, very capable. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, but she was like very, very intelligent and capable. Mm-hmm. So she was seeing her go from that to a vegetable was very bizarre because um, she wasn't even close to that age where you start kind of feeling like your parents are getting older. Like right. she was just still, you know, a totally functioning adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was shaking and drooling and um, having trouble, you know, like sort of slurring her words because of the drugs and then um, taking or having trouble sleeping. And so then they you know, give her sleep meds and then the sleep meds cause different side effects. And then, you know, you, Basically, there was like another drug for every single side effect, but they had so many side effects that it was like a cocktail of whatever. Of everything. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was a nightmare. And, you know, had I known this is how they treated this sort of thing, I'm not sure what I would have done, but it really wasn't a better solution. Like it wasn't a solution. It was just a different kind of misery. Like instead of her being manic, she was just a vegetable mm-hmm. and not able to really do anything right. so it was just very disappointing and also like oh like I wish I'd known some of this yeah. like maybe we would have taken a different path or something you talk I remember hearing um I listened to like a couple of your interviews before and I remember you uh talking about how it was difficult to manage you know becoming the caregiver of someone that has cared for you I, I think I remember hearing you say that. Um, and I think that is a case for a lot of people that people don't realize that that's a transition that is going to happen for us. Um, you know, do you specifically remember how you were able to to handle that transition or anything that um, like, helped you? Not well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, I mean I, I'm the only girl in my family and because of my brother – being sick and stuff like I I think I already felt like I had some caretaker type Mm -hmm. personality traits um and uh I would say that you know you're kind of shocked into action in that situation you know you're you're just kind of I mean once you get a really intense diagnosis and you feel like everything's going a mile a minute like that or have a manic episode or something like an accident a car accident if that happens to somebody like you're just you're just in go mode. You're, mm-hmm. You don't even have time to think. You're just doing what you got to do. Um, and so that, but once that settles down and you actually realize like, oh my gosh, I'm like an ongoing caretaker in this scenario for somebody who used to take care of me. It's one, you feel like you, of course you're going to do it because they took care of you. Sure. Um, but it's also you know, you feel there's a little bit of victimhood, I will say. I remember feeling like, why is this happening to mm-hmm. me? You know, like all my other friends, you know, they their parents are like 
still married. Their parents take care of them. Like they can just be, have fun, go to college, work, like do whatever they want, watch football on the weekends. Like why me? Why am I doing this? Like why, you know, why am I dealing with all these doctors and research? And like, why can't I just like, I already just went through this painful, like my parents getting divorced and Lyme, like just enough already, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But that is really not helpful. (laughs) Being a victim doesn't help anything. So um, had to kind of kick that and just realize like, you know, my family, I've had a very fortunate life in other ways that other people maybe haven't with, you know, access to um, opportunities or college or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I do have a strong family despite, you know, some dysfunction there or it being, you know, broken up family and um, had the support of also my uncle who was my mom's brother who also stepped in and became her legal guardian and helped as well. Um, and so it just kind of like stop with the victim stuff and just you have a job to do and you were, you know, chosen for this job. I don't know exactly what I believe in, but I feel like there's a some kind of spiritual existence out there and things happen very much for a reason. And like whatever this is, you're going to learn from it. There's a reason it's happening. Just do it, you know, just do the right thing. Um, and then I would say, um, you know, making sure that you don't become just I think this is like parents in general once the table turned and felt like I was sort of like her parent I did a lot of like okay if you just do this or don't do that or you know there's a lot of like trying to give instruction or like I know you don't feel great about this but here's what you're gonna do to like get out of this or you know there's you end up just kind of giving so much instruction that you lose that sense of compassion or empathy Mm. or just kind of putting comes yourself like by rote almost yeah or the same way that like your parents don't you know let's talk about like when you're a tween or something right there there's so much like you have to get good grades and you have to do this and clean up your room and you know this and that and get home by 11 and you're kind of like always just they just at you all the time mm-hmm. and they stop being you stop being cute right so they stop being <laughs> compassionate or like loving yeah. because they're not able to kind of or they're not, you know, some parents do a good, good job of this, but others don't, which is putting themselves in your shoes of how hard it is to go through all the transitions that happen that age, yeah. at that age and how much you're trying to like become an independent person. And so when you're like, get off my back, mom, like it's also like coming from a place of like, that's, that's just the nature of that age. You know, mm-hmm. you're not like a bad person or whatever. Um, and I kind of, look back and think I could have done a lot better job with that. Um, with keeping compassion there. With keeping compassion. Um, because people with who are going through any kind of chronic Ill- illness, especially mental illness, they're not mm. really in control, mm-hmm. you know? And so the choices that they're making or the way that they're feeling or the way that they're acting isn't them, you know? It's a dysregulation in the brain from either or hormonal imbalance or a viral and bacterial infection or whatever it might be that's accumulated enough to cause this mental illness. Um, obviously they're not thinking in their right mind, you know, it's, it's not. And so there was a lot of me being like, why don't you just like do this and do that? And her being like, I can't stop drooling. Like, why don't you not, you know, Mm -hmm. she didn't say that particularly, but looking back, I'm thinking like I needed to have so much more compassion to what she Mm -hmm. was going through and just kind of be supportive and be there for her and not just like in 
fix it mode because I was like, this is my job to get you better. And we're going to, in order for that to happen, you have to do X, Y, and Z. So every time I talk to you or see you, I'm just going to be talking about X, Y, and Z and not like just spending time with Mm -hmm. her. It sounds like you almost sort of made it about your job performance. Exactly. I was like the coach or the, Mm -hmm. you know, instructor or the whatever, rather than like, I'm still your daughter and like, you're still going through a tough time and deserve someone to just love you and be there for you and not just make it all about the project ahead of us, which was but to get you But it's hard better. not to like measure your success by her progress, especially when it's your mother and you, you want to see her progress. I mean, I don't know how you would have gone about that any differently. Yeah. I, and I go back to this like parent analogy, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. like a shitty teenager with causing a lot of problems in school and whatever, your parents feel responsible, like they screwed up mm-hmm. or they didn't do a good enough job getting you, you know, up you know to be an upstanding citizen um and the same thing like if she wasn't progressing or she had a relapse which she had several of or just had this total like loss of hope um then like I wasn't doing enough um and that is a weird line to navigate like just you got to be there for people that you're taking care of and also you got to get them better so yeah yeah it's really hard. I think it's just an amazing point to bring up. I mean, you know, it hits home with me. My dad has dementia, so I it's almost the same situation that we're in right now is, you know, finding this compassion rather than anger, right? Because, you know, he's doing and saying things that he doesn't quite mean or can control. And so rather than getting angry, which, you know, is your first reaction to do, you have to kind of like take a step back and you know, breathe and remember like what's going on. So, you know, with you saying that all, it, it, like I said, it hits home and it makes me just reassures the compassion that I need to be giving in, in this situation. So I appreciate you saying Definitely. all that. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. And yeah. so what's interesting though, with both dementia and schizoaffective disorder is, and this is what made it so frustrating for me, the more research I did it, the more I understand that like action, everyday action impacts Mm -hmm. those diseases and most diseases. Right. So, um, if she, like I said, she had gut trouble and whatever, like I knew that if she was going to be, if she was able to really take care of herself, she, and really, really heal through, you know, food and these other gut healing protocols, she could maybe turn this situation around. Um, but yet she was feeling so terrible on these drugs that she had no motivation to do anything um, and just started started to, to give up hope. And uh, so that was also challenging. When you know that what somebody eats or what they're doing could make a difference mm-hmm. in them getting better, like, you know, you, Alzheimer's can often have the diet component. Yeah. Um, and yet you're like, I also just need to be compassionate to the fact that he's a sick person and, like, he might just need to eat what he wants to eat at this point or, yeah. you know, it, he, I mean, he's changed quite a bit from, you know, he stopped smoking, he stopped drinking Gatorade. He just drinks water and, and there's been yeah. active changes. So that's so, great. Yeah. I mean, so you can see some progress there, but mm-hmm. if he was like refusing to do any of that, yeah. it would be hard. You know, it's a little hard to like give Absolutely. compassionate cause you know how much it mm-hmm. matters. So it's so hard to, both give that compassion and not but looking back 
that's one thing I would have done so mm-hmm. much more of um, is just try to constantly remind myself that human beings that are struggling need love more than they need anything, anything. else. Yeah. And to just like have that be first and foremost. And then my, you know, caretaker kind of drill sergeant role be secondary. <laughs> yeah. So earlier on, we had touched on how childhood trauma and childhood stress can accumulate and, you know, kind of snowball into um, a physical manifestation later down the road and sometimes a mental one. Um, and and you've, uh, you know, known that to be true for yourself. For your mom, like, was that, could that have been the case? Is that why she had an episode so much later on in life? It was just totally. a buildup that she hadn't been addressing? Totally. Yes. Um, looking back, I mean, I'm such an investigator. You know, a lot of what I do for Wellbe is health research and investigative guides. And I just can't help myself but kind of dig into root causes of everything. And, um, you know, mental illness generally doesn't have one root cause, although there's some very interesting things linked to schizophrenia, like um, taxoplasmosis. Do you know that parasite that's in cat feces? Um, so there's this parasite and it's like, I don't know if I want to know. Yeah, she's got two. (laughs) Do you really? Okay. Well, if you ever start seeing signs of mental illness in your family, um, you might get them. They poop outside a lot. They don't poop inside. Okay. That's good. Cause it, it has to do also like people that touch that's why pregnant women can't handle kitty litters because the taxoplasmosis. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So anyway, it's very interesting. There'll be some things like that where it's very directly correlated to mental illness, but often it's more of an accumulation of toxins in the body. And toxins can be childhood traumas. It can be more acute traumas like a PTSD from a war situation or, you know, an active shooter situation or something like that. Um but also it can be environmental toxicity. It can be these gut-related viruses, parasites, things like that. And um, looking back, she definitely had, like I mentioned, gut issues, sort of, I think, parasites. And um, she had um, hormonal imbalances and thyroid dysfunction. But she also had unresolved childhood trauma and had an alcoholic mother. And she had a lot of emotional baggage from her childhood and she really never dealt with it. And she was one of those people who would, you know, do everything that you might need to get your health better, but not, she had very low self-esteem. And so I don't think she thought she was worthy of good health. Um, and knew so much about how to eat, but then of course would like not eat those foods with us. You know, we'd get fed all these like super nutritious, whatever. And then she would like binge eat ice cream in the middle of the night and or starve herself because she was overweight and like just weird behavior um, with food. And same thing with, you know, mental health. Um, The things that we know can help with childhood trauma, things like talk therapy, emotional freedom technique, meditation, you know, spiritual guidance, like all these different tactics. um, She didn't employ any of them. And, you know, I mentioned my parents didn't have a great marriage. My, you know, they went to some counseling and my dad kind of saw that a lot of her issues had to do with childhood stuff and she still like it was just too painful she just couldn't go there the idea of going in there was seen as an attack you know she was very defensive um and because of that it these you know these like I said this stagnating negative energy these unresolved traumas they just cause more and more inflammation in the body Um, I always like to use the analogy of you know your body's like a bucket of water and over time you know we use thousands of chemicals every day 
um, and our products and our air and our water and our food um, in our conversations with one another in the violence we watch on TV, all these things, right? Things people say to you. Mm -hmm. So little by little, they keep adding up and there's things that you do to reduce them. We talked about some of those, right? Like exercise, meditation, talk therapy, whatever. But if you don't do any of those and you keep putting the bad stuff in, it just, the bucket gets more and more full and more full until something makes the whole bucket explode. And I would say, you know, that's called a trigger. So like my, my parents' divorce, I think was a trigger for her. Um, it was like a, you know, 25 years and then, you know, feeling like you had the rug pulled out from underneath Mm -hmm. you. She wasn't working before that. So it was just very, you know, feeling, I think probably pretty panicked about, life after that um and your children being your whole purpose and identity and then kind of being like now now what you know um and the i think because her mental health definitely started to snowball there were signs after right around the divorce or afterward but she was living somewhere else because i was in college and so i didn't see all of that really until this big manic night right right and so it probably had been about two years of this kind of you know really um, gradual gradual build up and uh you know just just wasn't right in front of me the way that it happened um with the episode but yeah i would say that um the childhood traumas were a huge part of that and other members of her family have had similar things that they've told me about um they just you know it was a tough upbringing for them Mm -hmm. and uh all of them you know some of them have been able to deal with things better than others and she just was not able to go there you know I think it was all too painful and so a lifetime of trying to shove that down and keep that from coming up it just it doesn't work yeah we talk um I I talked about this with her the other day I think it was you um the the (laughs) sorry the importance of you know with this whole thing and with me doing this whole thing, I, I've opened my doors to a lot of people. You know, a lot of people feel more comfortable talking to me. Um, and I've realized there's so many adults that just have so much that they want to say that, you know, they've lived their entire life thinking they weren't allowed to say. Even my mother has said thing, you know, said things here and there in conversation. And it's like, she like, you need to deal, like these are all things that, need to be dealt with and there's no age limit to mental health and taking care of your mental health and you know you're never too old to to change you know there could be things that happened to you 50 years ago and you can still work you know in into releasing that into working on it and so you know you speaking to that it it just makes me want to reiterate that it's never too late to ask for help or to get help Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the body is so resilient. Like if you, you know, the same thing applies for food. Like if you take out bad inputs and put in good ones, or at least just remove the bad, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like taking like, you know, like a layer of oil off of, you know, like a hole. Like it's like, oh, I can breathe again. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, thank you so much. (laughs) Okay. We have this whole like we have a lot of work to do, like, let's get going, you know, it'll just fire up again um, Mm -hmm. and start working so much better. I mean, people, the stories I've been told, because I, you know, I film a lot of um, stories of health recovery through integrated medicine for Welby. I've filmed like over, I don't know, 40, 50 interviews at this point, but there's so much of that. They'll remove one or just a couple food groups for like two or three weeks after a lifetime of illness or like a 
decade of you know psoriasis or something and the symptoms just start to hmm. diminish or the pain starts to go away. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so the same is true for, you know, traumas and a lot of mental illness type stuff. If you can start to release that, I don't care if it's been 30 years, 10 years, 50 years. I mean, you know, usually the longer it's in there, the more buried and hard to get out it is. Sure. But yeah. if you can successfully get it out, then the body responds as if you've removed something it's been allergic to Mm -hmm. and can just start to operate and function in a way that you didn't even know was possible and rebound really well because it is like a brilliant machine if it if it doesn't have stuff weighing it down Um, and so it is absolutely never too late yeah you know with that being said if you could kind of just talk a little bit more about you know the end I don't want to say the end, but what what happened to your yeah, mom? No, totally fine with that. Um, so about three and a half years after her manic episode, um, she was living in Boston um, because my uncle was her legal guardian at that point. Um, and he was there. And she was living in an apartment very close to, across the street from where he lived and close to the hospital that she had to go back, you know, have like visits at every week or so. Um, and she took her life. So that was, um, about nine years ago. And, uh, you know, it was just a few days before Christmas. Um, and she was supposed to come back to, she was supposed to come down to New York to have Christmas with us. And, uh, so it was, you know, like, even though I knew that she was sort of losing hope and that it was not a good situation and that she she just felt horrible on these drugs. I never really thought that was a that possibility. Um, Can I ask, was she still on the drugs at this point? Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. she had never gotten off of them after the manic episode. No, she had. Oh, she had. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, in those three and a half years, she tried to go off of them occasionally because she felt so awful on them. Right. Um, and most of those times that resulted in another manic episode so in those three and a half years she was in probably six different mental hospitals like inpatient programs for extended stays because she kept trying different (laughs) tactics to feel better and get off the drugs and um it didn't really Hmm. uh work out very well so um there was one christmas during that time she was like a missing person um she had like run away from she thought someone was like trying to kill her and she just basically like disappeared and we couldn't find her um and my dad at the time she was in the the washington dc area because her family is originally from annapolis and uh she was on the news in dc my dad had put like a missing persons thing because um you know we couldn't find her so we it was just like two two whole weeks I think where we had no idea where she was if she was alive or dead or we had no idea um she's very she was very resilient like she was really a fighter so I never in that two weeks I really I knew she was alive I just didn't know where she was Mm -hmm. um and she was um she was actually found in a library she was kind of like sleeping in the library wow um it may even like with you saying that it makes you just have like at least for me i'm a very like empathetic person but it makes me be so much more empathetic for 
for people that like might be on the street somewhere that like kind of look like they're losing it. And you know, and that now that you say that, like I've often thought to myself, like that's that has to be someone's mom or you know that that's someone's kid, and you know there's not they don't have just the access to the help, but it doesn't even sound like the help is all that yeah. great either. You if know, they, if they're really struggling with like yeah. delusions or paranoia, it's like they could have run away from a totally comfortable normal Mm -hmm. place or life or whatever because they think someone's trying to hurt them or kill them and it's not true obviously but Mm -hmm. that's what's going on in their head and so they don't know where to go and they're afraid to go home or whatever because of this idea in their head um so yeah it was wild to think that like my mom was probably seen as like a homeless person for those two weeks by anybody that walked by her Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah, it was just a, such a bizarre couple of years. But she, yeah, so she died. And um, it it was, it was so, you know, uh, painful. And I was at the time applying to business school. Um, and my applications were due in like two weeks. And I'd been working on this for like over a year. I mean, I'd, you know, gotten all the recommendations from my supervisors at work um I studied for and taking the GMAT like three times I had written all these essays for like four different schools and um it was just a lot and it was like right down to the finish line and I didn't know you know if I could actually finish it um but I kind of ripped up everything that I'd written and my friends helped me to actually like no you're so close like come on just submit it like all the deadlines you know don't miss them just just get something out um and I wrote about the fact that I wanted to fix the broken healthcare system because I felt like the the lack of interest by the doctors in every single one of these facilities in actually figuring out any of the root causes or trying to like heal her body was shocking and disgusting to me Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that that's also a product of where conventional mental health is right now there just isn't that kind of a mentality or those kinds of answers because it's mostly just a pharmaceutical based model Mm -hmm. um, which inherently can't heal things unless you're killing something right like the only drug on earth that fully heals anything is when you have like an infection and maybe it can kill the infection right like an antibiotic everything else is just like a long drawn out thing because mm-hmm. it just manages the symptom it, it can't really reverse the, the, the issue right so I know that that's you know maybe the best that they had at that time but to me it was just also such a lack of interest in really getting someone's life back it was like all right well we don't want them to kill anyone else so we'll just kind of make them a vegetable so that they can't yeah. You know, and it's like, is that really a solution? Like, this is a life too. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, don't you want this person and their family to get back on their feet? Like, you know, just drooling and shaking and what, you know, isn't really a life. No. Um, and so now, you know, I'm able to learn about and interview and research and stuff like these different, very different kinds of psychiatrists who are thinking so differently about these kinds of issues and again I don't know what I would have done 
differently because we were so panicked, you know, standing mm-hmm. on the street in the middle of the night, in the middle of Queens. Like, I don't, you know, yeah. know if it really would have changed the fact that I called the police. Um, but I know that healthcare, mental health care is changing. And for most people, it's really this new kind of mental health care, you know, holistic psychiatry or functional psychiatry is completely inaccessible. Like they can't find practitioners and doctors who practice this way or they're just exorbitantly expensive because they're outside the insurance system. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be the standard of care in yeah. America. And so I like to think that, you know, this horrible experience kind of fired me up to bring that to a lot more people and make that the norm, whether it takes 20 years or 50 years, you know, I hope that that's really where it's going. I know I'm up against some pretty powerful uh, companies who would like that to not be the case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you're laying the groundwork and it's it's not even, you know, about alternative medicines or, or treatments. You're sort of like imploring people to look within now and yes. to, to make these 100, you know, choices a day now yes. to avoid anything like that down the road. And that's what's pretty amazing about your, your concept and... You know, I mean, if you want to speak a little bit to that, I think that's that'll that could very well help somebody listening right now. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you kind of brought that back around because a lot of the work that I do now is about prevention um, and just get getting to things and getting to the root causes of things before they are full blown illnesses or manic episodes or whatever, Um, whether that's resolving childhood traumas or looking at the food you eat and understanding like all the different things it's affecting um, or understanding if you have like mold toxicity and like that could be the cause of your depression. But if you don't know what you're looking for, cause you don't have the kind of doctor who would test for those things, then you might not even realize that and be on an antidepressant for like a decade with mm-hmm. all kinds of consequences. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a big inspiration for me to not only help people once they have chronic health issues, whether they're mental or physical, to find practitioners and doctors who are going to think differently about their care and really be a partner and like, I'm going to help you heal. I'm not just interested in like... Seeing if this drug works. (laughs) Exactly. Or just turning you into kind of a vegetable because Mm -hmm. like at least, you know, that's not manic or something or like calling that a solution. It's not. Um, But also helping people before they even get there, you know, when there were so many signs and opportunities throughout the 50, 61 years that my mom was alive, like where, you know, had there been a different kind of doctor or someone who could help her in a lot of different ways to kind of undo some of these hormonal imbalances or gut issues or childhood traumas, like something like this may never have come this far, Mm -hmm. you know. It could have been um, thwarted so much earlier. So, yeah, that's that's really you know what happened. Um, I did end up going to business school, okay, <laughs> and uh, in Chicago. And the whole time I was there, trying to talk to you know anybody that I could about anything integrative <laughs> yeah. medicine, and they all were like, "What are you talking about?" Or wellness. No one talked about wellness. They were like you mean wearables? Like that's what people thought wellness was back then. Cause there was also like no Instagram when I started, like, yeah. it was just a really different time. Um, goop was like just starting. Like it was just different. Mm-hmm. Like no one even knew what that was. Now wellness is means so many different things to different people and it's like trendy and not really what I thought it was. But, um, 
yeah, it was a, it was a rude awakening to me that there weren't a lot of people involved in that, um, which has been really awesome to see how far we've come since I first went to business school, which was, um, you know, um, eight years ago to see that, you know, so many more people understand and have destigmatized the idea of functional integrative medicine and that it's not woo woo hippie quack weirdo stuff. It's like grounded in a lot of science actually. And there's beginning to be a ton of research on the different components of it. And also it just makes more sense that you would actually want to heal things instead of just manage them forever. Mm -hmm. And that symptoms, whether it's a manic episode in your brain or pain in your arm, like these are all different cries for help. Like every single time you feel a symptom, it's your body being like, Hey, what you're doing's not working. Right, right. Help you know, me. Help me. Um, and sometimes that's like you banged your arm. Okay, that's sure. why it hurt. But most of the time, it's like something you're eating routinely or putting on your skin routinely, or there's something dust you're allergic to in your apartment, or all these things, and or some toxic person you have in your life that you're not able to get rid of. <laughs> Energy. I yeah. feel yeah. attacked. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and all these things are, you know, if you actually pay attention to them, they're all these little signs, again, that, that you can do something about so much earlier before you end up on the sidewalk in the middle of the night with your kids, like mm-hmm. being put right. into an ambulance because you're losing your mind. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Uh, so unfortunately we are definitely running out of time. We're over an hour. <laughs> I know time passes by quickly. Um, so what we like to do is, uh, wrap up with just advice that you would give. Um, you know, for you, we touched a lot of different important things and you kind of gave advice throughout. Um, but if there's any like final last words that you want to say and get out there. Yeah. Um, do your research. Like, no one's fully responsible for you and your body and the healthcare system or anywhere else. Like, you are the CEO of your health, of your body, of your life, and you have to be empowered to be able to say no to things that don't feel right, to trust your gut instinct, to have triple checks on anything that might be done to you or your body. Um, and also to take the personal responsibility that comes with knowing, as we were just talking about, that the 100 choices you make are really your health care every single day. So when you're making too many bad choices, maybe don't be surprised, you know, if bad health outcomes come out of that. Um, but also never forget that, you know, the body, as we mentioned, is extremely resilient. And so you can turn things around so easily if you just start treating your body kindly, you know, mm-hmm. with nourishment and with positivity as we were talking about um and empathy and all these different um you know attributes that that the body craves and needs so i'd say be empowered um get help when you need it if you don't know much about food or wellness or healthcare or whatever there are resources you know a lot of them out there the internet is infinite <laughs> um whether it's you know well be something like my site which has a lot of content or any other you know fabulous ones out there um but then you know show up for yourself every day you know have the the decency to treat your body right so that it can work for you it really wants to Mm -hmm. um it's almost like an employee you know like if you shit all over somebody (laughs) they're probably not going to want to work for you very well and they probably won't um either 
they'll quit or they'll just be not Terrible. great for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what that's like. So those would be my pieces of advice. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Um, We'll definitely put the link to your information um, either on our Instagram or on our channel somewhere so that if someone's interested in things that you're saying, I know it's getwellbe.com. Yep. Um, They can reach out to you there. And uh, yeah, and we appreciate you coming on and and talking to us. There's a lot of things that I personally am taking away. So I know that there's definitely going to be other people that are going to be taking away some valuable things from this as well. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Um, If you're not doing so already, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, For the Haters on all, For the Haters with a Y. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. And thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. For the haters, for the haters, come on to it now or later. It don't matter what your name is, share your story, we'll be waiting, God.